Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that will not breach advertising rules because we're not sponsored by anyone. I'm James Rothwell. I'm Dan Acton. This week we'll talk about what we've been watching, including American Poets and Danish Murder. We'll talk some Golden Globes real news. For conflicts of interest, we're talking about if it's ever acceptable to start watching a TV show after the first season. And our main review is Greenland, starring Gerard Butler. Available now on Amazon Prime for no additional fee. Before we get into all that, as ever, please support this podcast. Like us on Facebook. Give us a five-star review on iTunes or follow us on Instagram. In the Isles podcast. Very good. Now, we're obviously here to talk TV and film, but James, anything going on? In your personal life, what's going on in lockdown 3.7? My only contact with the outside world is through Tesco, which I'm sure is the case for many people. And supermarket rules have become more strict. You must wear a mask. You must shop alone. So I was absolutely raging at the sight of a mother and daughter getting in the lift to the Tesco to go down one flight of stairs, come out of the lift unmasked, walk straight to the customer service counter, buys a pack of cigs, walks out again. No mask, not alone, and you're buying a pack of cigarettes. So your lungs aren't in the best state. You should be taking better care of yourself. (laughs) I'm not one to weigh in on that, but I understand where you're coming from. Is this an adult daughter? Teenage. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Firm breach of rules there. Get your act together and quit smoking. I'm going to take your advice. I think that's for the good of my health we care about public health but we also have no problem with you spending lots and lots of time sat on the sofa watching film and tv no not at all yeah i just wanted to add that my father-in-law today had his uh, bone marrow transplant which has all gone well and i thought i'd use this as an avenue to wish him well because he doesn't listen but his family do so i'm sure they'll tell him wishing you all the best steve hope you're okay that actually works out well because if he listens as a new listener, it's good for the stats. Exactly. So I might just tell him on the sly, oh, you've, you've got a cheeky mention this week, and there you go. We'll be at number one on iTunes in no time. I'm pretty sure we're only missing that one more listener to get to number one. Yeah, that'll put us over Adam Buxton and Joe Rogan for sure. Yeah. James, shall we start with you? What have you been watching this week? Hyped for many months on this podcast. Snowpiercer, season two on Netflix. I once promised that I would give my final opinion on Snowpiercer season one, which never did. So I'll just say now, it's okay. It was okay. This is a Netflix program about a train circling an earth that is uninhabitable because of climate change. The train in season one was literally divided into classes, but there was a revolution. After the big victory, how do you go about healing the divisions and creating the utopian society that you promised. That is a more compelling premise for season two than rich people bad, which is all that season one had to say. Season one was slow to start. They dragged everything out before the revolution suddenly happened, at which point it became interesting. And season two is much, much better. My advice is to skip season one and watch season two. Because of the revolution of the tale is the underclass. Everyone is less settled. They want to establish their place in the new order. 
David Diggs, the main character, Leighton, he has tough decisions to make about martial law, allocation of resources, trade. The hospitality manager, who had a fairly benign role in the previous order, seems lost. So does she want things to go back to the old ways? Jennifer Connelly is Jennifer Connelly. She's always good and worth watching. That's a given. Most important of all for season two is the addition of Sean Bean, who smashes it as the main villain. He attaches his smaller train to the back of Snowpiercer, and he wants to reclaim Snowpiercer for himself. You can tell Sean Bean's having a good time with this role. He's very evil. His arrival causes the conflict of season two, and it's the start of a cold war between the two sort of great world powers. There's even a border between the trains, which is ridiculous, but fun. I'm enjoying it a lot. Much more energy and urgency than season one. That's Snowpiercer on Netflix. Very good. Gets about a bit, Sean Bean, doesn't he? He's in everything. He's a hard-working man. Hard-working. From Sheffield. Good on you, mate. Very good. I We're going to get to it in Conflicts of Interest. I've got issues with what you've said about skipping season one, despite not having seen it. But we'll leave the argument for there. I just, out of pure curiosity, I've got a good idea of what the show's about from what you've said naturally but is there anything atmospherically that you would compare this show to what's it like i don't know um they're in a confined space changing rooms (laughs) um there's class division oh i don't know it's fine we'll move on i don't know i don't know watching it it doesn't feel that original but i can't think of anything else that it is like Okay. What else have you been watching? Regular listeners will know that I've been positive about everything I've watched on Apple TV+. Plus. So I had little doubt that Dickinson, season two, which holds a 100% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, will be good. It's about a 19th century poet, Emily Dickinson. Little known during her life, she has since become an important figure in American poetry. It's about her writing poetry. This has characters speaking in the present day style, like saying bro and chill, with modern day bass heavy music playing to introduce the scenes. No, I'm not having it. I'm not having it. I don't watch historical fiction to have the immersion broken like that. Game of Thrones didn't play Basement Jacks when Ned Stark got his head chopped off. Where's your head at? That's the job, Rotten Tomatoes highlights the writing of this, so here's a sample. I have a profound respect for women who embody traditional values, such as submissiveness, chastity, and a willingness to do household chores. Two male characters greet each other with a bro hug, a bro shake, and say, awesome bro, and then discuss New Orleans as follows. I heard it's super chill down there, and the tobacco's mad cheap, to which the enlightened female responds, yeah, because of slavery. It's so on the nose that it's changed its hometown to on the nose on Facebook. It's so on the nose that it's got a 45-year mortgage on your nose because it's so firmly positioned on the nose. It's contacted the DVLA to ask for its driving license address to be changed to on the nose. That's how on the nose it is. I've got more, but I'll, I'll just leave it there. It wasn't for me. It's not aimed at me. I don't think I'm the target audience. Maybe it was a mistake for me to watch it. And that's fine. I'll just say, watch Outlander instead, which I've discussed in episode 19. 
Outlander on Amazon Prime, five seasons. It's fantastic. So that's the end of a home run for Apple. The very end. They just they just yep. couldn't sustain it. The end of the streak, pinned by Brock Lesnar by Dickinson. <laughs> I believe doesn't it now have a second season? So if you follow your rules, just 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 go to season two, see if it's any better. Yeah. Well, if you were following what I was saying, you would have heard that I did start at season two. Oh, sorry, sorry, missed that bit. That's why you didn't enjoy it. Yeah. I do listen to you, James. It's just I've no idea why anyone would start a season two. So it didn't register in my brain, just, just to okay. be clear. Yeah. Yep. Well, I started at season two because that's 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, man, bro. But I'm going to chill on it and not watch it. Sick. Anything else? A Brucey bonus film on Netflix, Space Sweepers. Have you heard of this? It's clinging on in the top 10. At number 10 on Netflix. No, I don't think I have. It's been called the first Korean space opera. I'd been waiting for this to come out on Netflix. It did not disappoint. It's set in a future where Earth is almost uninhabitable due to climate change. Again, there's been significant buildup of orbital infrastructure, including domes that the chosen few live in. And the increase in space construction has led to the creation of space sweepers, who are people that fly around collecting dangerous flying space debris in exchange for cash. Now, I say all that for two reasons. Number one is that I really liked the world building in this film. And number two, it's exactly the same premise as Planetess, which is one of my favourite animes of all time. So into this setup is thrown a gang of lovable misfits that includes a wise-talking robot, a down-on-his-luck hero, a short-tempered ex-con with a tragic past, and a strong-willed captain who doesn't take any shit from anyone, played by Kim Tyree from The Handmaiden. They acquire a MacGuffin, which leads to a plot that involves gunfights, explosions, chases through space, and learning about what really matters, family. It's a lot like Guardians of the Galaxy and Star Wars. I like both of those things. If you like both of those things, I recommend Space Sweepers on Netflix. Sounds very interesting. May well give that a go. So, Nick's the plot from one of your favourite anime, but it definitely isn't based on it in any way. Definitely not based on it anyway. It nicks the setup of people collect space debris, but the actual plot, the MacGuffin, is that there's this little girl who's the key to everything, and our heroes stumble across her accidentally, but the bad guys want her as well. And the bad guy is played by... Thorin from The Hobbit. Straight over my head, that, but I'm sure that will mean a lot to many of the listeners, so good, good. What have you been watching? I've been switching it up a bit. I've gone down the comedy route, and I thought I'm going to watch Dead Pixels Season 2 on Channel 4, or 4 OD. It's a comedy about a bunch of gamers whose lives exist purely in the bedrooms, or more or less in the bedrooms, and it follows them as they're obsessively fawn over this MMORPG, which is called Kingdom Scrolls. It's a bunch of sarcastic, cynical misfits who at times are, quite frankly, unlikable, but they say everything you don't have the balls to come out with, and the dialogue is sharp and funny. It's really, really top-notch. It mostly focuses on the characters of Meg and Nikki, who are flatmates who've played Kingdom Scrolls together for years. 
the most original thing about this is that the game itself is as much part of the setting as the real world. You get full storylines and punchlines that take place in that universe. And they've gone to the effort of creating full animations for this game. When it comes to the style of the comedy, it's basically a bit like Peep Show for the gamer demographic. You don't need to be a gamer to enjoy the series, but there are little in-jokes that might potentially go over your head, whether that be about loot crates or perhaps the amount of time it takes to download an update patch. Not all of it will be relatable to everybody, but I would say that even the most casual of gamers will appreciate the humour in this. I don't do any multiplayer online gaming, and yet I had so much love for the first series. I, I found it hilarious. And I just really enjoyed the unique slant on this standard sitcom by having it set in the gaming space. So I've been eagerly anticipating season two, and it's finally here. As for how it stacks up, the second series is much more of the same. It follows the same sort of format. But unfortunately for me, it felt more like a, a mixed bag than a straight-up success. I do I do want to point out that I couldn't fully turn my attention to it for the first three episodes, and maybe that did affect my enjoyment of it and i will be revisiting those three episodes because later on in the season i was fully immersed and i really enjoyed what i watched is it coincidence probably not so i will go back and watch them the comedy just doesn't feel as sharp this time around though the the novelty of it being partially set within a game has now gone and yeah i'm just not as bold over it with it as i was the first season they do try some interesting things and you can tell that they're trying to develop the characters in more detail meg for example, she's this straight-talking, no-nonsense type who's got a really cold exterior, but you get to see her become a lot more vulnerable in Season 2. The character of Nicky, similarly, there's some deeper exploration of him. He's a guy who gets an erection when in combat during games, and he has to adapt to a possible real-life relationship, and this begins a sexual awakening in him that does lead to some of the standout comedy moments. One in particular in at the very start of an episode, it's, it begins with him Googling something. And first off, he puts in normal porn. Then he glances over at his VR headset and retypes normal VR porn. Redoes it a few times, and then it finally comes up, and it says, normal VR porn set in feudal Japan, brackets amateur. <laughs> so <laughs> it is still frequently funny. It's more than a wee bit bonkers, and I, I would still recommend it. I'm just not as in love with it as the first series. What's it called again? Dead Pixels on Channel 4. Sounds good. Is it set in the UK? Yes. Yes. Sorry, I should have said that. It is a British production. That does sound good. Is it about 50-50 split between real world and virtual world? <sighs> Maybe 60-40 in favour of real life to gaming. That sounds interesting. I've never heard of anything like that before. Apart from that one episode of South Park where they do split between the Real world and game world. I think. Are you a fan of Peep Show? Yeah, I wasn't really totally madly in love with it like some people back in the day, but it's mm. good. Yeah, give it a go. See what you think. I think. I think you would enjoy it. Okay. What else have you been watching? Next on my list, sticking to tradition, I watched The Investigation on the BBC iPlayer. This is a Danish series that was acquired by HBO, and now it's on the BBC. It's about the 2017 case of a Swedish journalist called Kim Wall, who tragically died after she went to interview an eccentric entrepreneur on board his homemade submarine. 
in a nutshell, this inventor took her out to sea and murdered her. I don't really think that's a spoiler. It's a case that made headlines across the world in 2017. Having said that, do you remember this? I don't remember this. Okay, I apologise for spoiling it then. (laughs) But I knew all that. It didn't affect my enjoyment of it at all. It is a peculiar case just because of the circumstances and that does mean that it's a crime drama, probably unlike anything that you've seen before. As the title may suggest, it's about the investigation into the murder. And because the incident occurred out at sea, you can imagine the, the crime scene is quite vast. And that means the lengths that they need to go to to get hold of evidence is mind boggling. In fact, nearly three of the six episodes focus on how the evidence was obtained in order that, for them to form this airtight prosecution it does become a focal point of the drama and it brings a lot of tension with it. The series goes into tremendous depth around the different aspects of an investigation, whether it be the team's frustration at the criminal justice system and how it works, the monotony of sifting through countless case files, or, as I mentioned, scouring every inch of the seabed. For those reasons, it does feel like an uncharacteristic crime drama in many ways, And given the abundance of this type of show, that is no easy feat at all. But I do think they managed to bring something unique here. Which really, I shouldn't be surprised at, because looking at the talent behind this, specifically Tobias Lindholm, he writes and directs this. He's the guy behind the much-talked-about film Another Round, starring Mads Mikkelsen, which has generated a lot of awards buzz over the last few months. He's directed numerous films in the past that have gone on to gain quite high critical acclaim um the hunt with mad mickelson that's another one where he's a teacher accused of molesting a student i don't know if you've seen that but it's have you seen it i thought it was excellent yeah it's very good very good so he's he knows what he's doing he's quite a prolific filmmaker and it turns out he's he's a dab hand at tv too one of the more interesting aspects of this show though is the decision that they make to make the show completely devoid of any gruesome visuals at all. There's not a drop of blood on screen. Anything about the crime itself and the disturbing details around it is communicated purely through dialogue. Further to that, they also choose to completely omit the accused's name. It's not uttered even once throughout, nor does he feature as a character. And I know some people might be saying, what are you telling me that for? But I... I was anticipating that. I was always thinking, when is he going to show on screen? When are they interviewing him? And that doesn't happen. And it doesn't lose anything because of that. But I don't want you sat there waiting for it. It's not going to happen. They don't do that. That's obviously a purposeful decision, but I found it really powerful. And I've never quite seen a TV show do that before that's of this sort of ilk. It honors the victim in a way that I've never seen a similar show do, really. And it's just overwhelmingly respectful and non-sensationalized. But again, I'll say it it doesn't affect the dramatic impact of the story. If you know nothing of the case, all the better. I've ruined quite a lot of it already, but it's a really fascinating story. It's riveting, it's expertly shot, and the acting is so on point, I cannot say anything bad about it. What is it? Sorry, the investigation on BBC iPlayer. You seem to have seen every crime thriller that has ever been made. So for you to say it's unlike anything you've ever seen is a significant statement. That's definitely encouraged me to watch it. Now I'm fearing that I've been too positive and I've, I've set expectations too high. But still, that's what we're here to do, is to recommend things. So on my head be it. Let me know what you think.
I just want to know really how they get fingerprints off of water. Maybe they don't, or maybe they do. We'll leave it there. Have you been watching anything else? Nope. But you have been watching the Golden Globes nominations, haven't you? Been reading about them. Okay. It's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news. So it's award season yet again. And with that comes news of films that have been nominated for Best Picture that really shouldn't have. One of those being Mank, a film that we hated, which has the most nominations this year with six. The only thing coming close to it after that is The Trial of the Chicago 7, which I think is justified. We were both very hot on that film, liked it a lot. Your number one, if I remember rightly, of 2020. Yes, it was. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll read a few more just so people get a good idea of, of what's received the most nominations. After that, we've got, with four nominations, The Father, starring Anthony Hopkins, which I have not seen and I don't think is available in the UK yet. Similarly, Nomadland, with four nominations, and Promising Young Woman, which will be with us shortly, so we can give our verdict on that. I'm not going to go through and list every single film we might go into TV in a moment, but any shocks or surprises there or any glaring omissions? I know it's a small one. Possessor, we loved it. Would have liked to see that somewhere. Granted, it's not awards fodder, but beloved by us. Where does St. Maud feature in the Golden Globes list? It doesn't. That's sick. <laughs> it's a shame St. Maud isn't on there more. It's won a few... UK-based awards, some London Film Critics Awards, I think. Would like to see that. Yeah, no, it is, it is a bit of a shame, that. And especially when you look at some of the things, even though they might have only got one nomination, but The Midnight Sky's on there. I mean, come on. Come what? On. Yeah. For what? Oh, don't ask me things I don't know. I've just got films and number of nominations in front of me right now. Regardless, Hamilton's got two. Didn't know that. That answers your question from our year in review episode about whether Hamilton counts as a film. Obviously, yes, it does. Yeah, thank you very much, Golden Globes. You have made me feel as though my word is worth something. I will just touch on Best Picture. Promising Young Woman, looking forward to that. Mank, what were you thinking? Boring. One Night in Miami, which we debated about reviewing, and maybe we will do in the future. The Trial of the Chicago 7, worthy. And Nomadland, don't have a clue. We'll find out. I'll just go into TV as well, which will lead me on to a further point about who's dominating this year at the Golden Globes. Top of the pile, we've got The Crown with six nominations. Schitt's Creek with five. Ozark with four. The Undoing with four. And The Great with three nominations. Same question, James. Oh, God, Ratchet's in there as well with three. Oh, my word. Um, yeah, anything missing? Any shocks? Surprises? In fact, sorry, you can answer that question, but I'm going to tell you something really that's really, really going to piss you off right now. Mrs. America, one nomination. Miss, what, what? Yeah. That, no, 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 no. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing it's for Kate Blanchett. Yes, it is for Kate Blanchett. Right. I was going to mention Mrs. America. Miss America. Don't know the name of my favourite programme from last year. I was going to mention it, but I thought that it was too old because I remember seeing that it lost Best Drama to Watchmen, 
for something else in another made up award program and i thought well whatever i wasn't expecting it to come up this year because i thought it was too old that's a disgrace that is a disgrace that when i initially reviewed the list and didn't go past anything that received less than three nominations i had the same feeling i thought no well it's no wonder that it's not up there because it's too old but nope they've just damn well ignored it (sighs) so a further question james with everything that i've just told you and a few unknowns who do you think has the most nominations in terms of TV distributors this year? Because this Netflix. is... Netflix. The answer is Netflix. The, the answer is Netflix. By a country mile, it has 20 nominations. The only thing even close to it is HBO with seven nominations. Now, this is just so far removed from where we were a few years ago when Netflix decided to start producing their own original content. We thought, oh, this is this is interesting. Let's see where this leads to. And now they've they've done it. They're sweeping, they're sweeping the awards. It's crazy. I know they've not won them yet, but even to be nominated for that many, mental. They've got the money to get the best people in, like Ricky Gervais said. They've got the money to get all the best actors, and they've got the money to put the ads out in the Hollywood press to say for your consideration and things like that. And just bribe people. I'm joking. I'm not saying they would bribe people. Entirely possible. It's entirely possible. I do find, though, when I'm looking for new content, I circle back to Netflix because they put so much out. They put so much out that I end up watching it. So maybe it's the case of, well, there's so much there. Got no choice but to give them something because there's so much content. I, I'm exactly the same. They've got us all by the cojones. They've, they've, they've drawn us in hook, line and sinker, and there's no way back, or at least I don't see one at this point. One thing that has caused a bit of controversy this year is, well, some of the nominations, to be quite frank. There's been a lot of backlash specifically about Lily Collins. She's nominated for Best Actress in Emily in Paris. Nearly forgotten what it was then. But so has everyone else, because what a joke. People are up in arms about this, and a lot of people are, as a comparison, talking about, I May Destroy You, and the actress that, forgive me, I'm sure you will know, I don't know her name, but she wrote, produced, directed, and edited, and stars, and has not got a single nomination, which people say is criminal. This is white privilege, gone mad, and she's had quite the abuse over it. It's not her fault she's been nominated, but yeah, people aren't happy. They're not happy. Michaela Cole is the person who wrote and directed and starred in I May Destroy You. I saw this controversy as well and the backlash against Lily Collins. I looked it up and I read about it on our favourite website on this podcast, the Daily Mail, and they pointed out that what neutralises this whole discussion is that Lily Collins was nominated in comedy, but Michaela Cole, if she was going to be nominated, that would be in drama. Not even the same category. They're not even fighting over the same thing. So maybe Lily Collins does deserve to be nominated as a comedy performance, as I said at the time, Emily in Paris, a vomit-inducingly bland piece of rubbish. So I can't comment that much. I did watch I May Destroy You, and I am surprised they've not nominated Michaela Cole. But it's the Golden Globes. Who cares? Michaela Cole has the award of being universally praised by the world's media as a genius for making I May Destroy You, and I think that's more valuable. 
Yeah, I I can't comment on either because I've seen neither. But I think, judging from things I've heard and read, I, I think this is a problem and a bit of an oversight. But it's it is what it is now. It is history, and it shall remain so. So, another person who fell into this controversy was James Corden. Who, how did he get to this point of being this famous? I hear that he's been nominated for a Golden Globe. And then he appears on stage at the Super Bowl next to the weekend. When did this transformation happen? I know he has a talk show in the US, but he's just so famous. What I just don't understand. He must have a really good agent. He must do. He is earning his money, that agent. I'm, I'm telling you now. But he's, or not him, but the Golden Globes has, has faced criticism for the fact that he portrays quite a stereotypically gay character in The Prom which he's nominated for. And again, people aren't happy about it. So some unwise decisions this year, maybe. I've not seen his performance. I can't comment, but I'm just letting you know what the world is saying. They can make up for it when the winners are eventually selected, and that's all that anyone will remember. Until next year, when all the exact same talking points are repeated once again. (laughs) Too right. James, I don't know about you, but things can get a bit boring in lockdown, and I fancy myself an argument. Me too. What are you talking about, you? I very much disagree Shut with up, that. You, two. you do not have good opinions. What an idiot. I hate everything. You can't even speak. Nothing you're saying makes sense. Conflicts of interest. In this week's Conflicts of Interest, we're talking about whether it's ever okay to start watching a show after the first season, in season two or season three is it a crime is it acceptable i think it is okay dan you don't i I don't even see how this is going to warrant more than two minutes worth of content the answer's no move on well i'll give you my opening statement there are programs with weaker earlier seasons that you can skip you can skip to the good part without missing anything best example of this star trek the next generation watch measure of a man from season two then start season three. That's allowed. Nothing is missed. Second point, ain't nobody got time for that. If I really want someone to experience a program, but I want to minimize their time commitment, I think it's fine to watch the best season and just leave it there. Example, The Wire season three. The Wire is the best show ever, but it's slow to start. There's a dip in season two. If someone is only going to be able to commit one season, I'll say season three. Season three is where everything clicks. All the iconic characters are still in place. And those performances that you see are what propelled pretty much the entire cast into lifelong success. If you don't have time for 50 to 60 hours, then just watch season three. It's fine. The next point. I'm not alone in this. Here's the average number of viewers in millions for each season of The Walking Dead. 5 million, 6, 10, 13, 14, and then it drops off. The Sopranos, 3, 6, 8, 10, then it drops. Clearly, other people are coming in after the first season. So it's not just me that's saying this. My last point to support people that might want to jump in after the first season. In the digital age, you can just watch recaps on YouTube. And then jump in. The producers want you to jump in. So just do it. Start after the first season. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. 
I must say, you've, you've made more of a compelling argument than I thought was possible. That doesn't mean I'm going to agree with you on this one. But my major concern around what you've said, the people who tell you that you don't need to watch a certain season, start at season two, they can only say that having watched season one, and they've got the luxury of, yeah, it probably wasn't worth my time, season two's better, but they know what has gone on in that season. They've got the character development. They've followed the subplots. They understand foundationally what they're watching. And I think people who recommend just leaping in at season two miss the fact that people aren't going to benefit from having those foundations. They're not going to have witnessed any of it. And I think it's taken for granted that, ah, it's just better, watch it. So I don't hold much weight behind that opinion, if I'm honest, because it can only come from those who've sat through season one. Plus the fact that it is also subjective. You'll find many debates online about 24, The Sopranos, Six Feet Under, whatever show it might be, people's opinion on what the best season is differs completely. So I just think it, you're at risk of missing something that you might actually enjoy. There are notable exceptions to this rule, and that would fall into things that are anthology seasons. I was going to name American Horror Story as being one, but since they've now done this ridiculous, all the seasons link into each other mythology stuff, I just can't even use that anymore. But there are other examples of that that just don't spring to mind at the minute. Yeah, I think we'll leave anthology series out of this like the sinner is another one or big brother yeah but like say you you the good example the one that probably set all this in motion way back in episode one of this podcast you revealed that to get along on the hype train you watched breaking bad season five and the latter half of season five not even from the very beginning just to be part of that conversation and i see why you did that but how could you buy into the plight if you've not been with them since the beginning snowpiercer that you mentioned before is none of that first season relevant then it's relevant i understand what you're saying that you need the build before the payoff but but is it that important really is it worth spending more time on when there's so much to watch if someone just does not want to put that much time into it i think it's fine and it's not worth it and some shows are set up where the well most shows are set up where in the first episode They'll catch you up on everyone. This is what this person's doing. This is what they're doing. There'll be one line that explains what happened so that you can at least understand what's happening. Yes, you don't get that personal time spent with them, but you can still understand what's happening. And again, it's about the time that needs to be spent to watch absolutely everything. I agree there are programs where it's up for debate which the best season is, but there are some where it's not up for the debate. It's not. And that's where you can just go straight in later on. Point in case, though, you mentioned The Wire. I really liked the first two seasons, and I stopped watching the third. Now, that might not be popular opinion at all. In fact, I don't think it is. But that was my journey with it. And if I'd listened to you, I could have I could have done myself out of two blisteringly good seasons of TV. I think it's problematic. It's problematic. I'm saying that it's weighing the priorities yeah no i get that and i I do appreciate the time element as well we've all got to make some sacrifices somewhere i get it but do you not think it comes down to the pedigree of a tv show so say for example i don't know what's your favorite tv show of all time 
Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. And that's not going to work for this. <laughs> for the sake of argument, let's imagine that your favourite show of all time is 24, yeah? Yep. No, there's, there's quite a few bad seasons in that, isn't there? Admittedly. And we were both fans. There are, yeah, so bad that I didn't even watch season four until years later. Yeah, so it's a really, really bad example of this. But imagine it's the greatest TV show on earth and it is perceived by many as that. However, one or two seasons at the beginning were a bit rocky. If it's that good, is it not worth just seeing the whole thing through so you've got a full, realised interpretation of what this show is and you've seen it since its inception, you've grown with it, you've gone along on that journey of, oh my God, it's getting better and better as it as it proceeds, is it not worth going through the mud first to get to that point? I think our problem here is that we're imagining two different hypothetical situations. I'm imagining someone who doesn't care that much about the build and and the payoff and the emotional journey that you go through Mm. with the peaks and troughs of 24. But you're imagining a person who, in an ideal world, has the time to sit and commit to watch every program in full from start to finish i'm just not imagining that person yeah i'm imagining someone who wants to say yep just give me a taste of it yep i've got it right move on because i'm not going to be able to watch everything in the world but yep why that's covered thanks what's next we're imagining two different people i'll concede to that point i think i think you're right we are approaching it from very different angles but irrespective of that i don't agree you're wrong Weak argument, weak argument alert. I think you're right about the pedigree of some programs. I think there are some that exist on a higher plane. Maybe the the wire is not a good example. I just wanted to pick a more popular one. But something that I think would be near impossible to watch midway through is something like Game of Thrones that's so complex that even though you may argue that season four is the best season, I don't think it's possible to watch that and pick up enough information to be able to understand what's going on. Yeah, I'll definitely second Game of Thrones because I started the second season after a year break and I could not make sense of it. So I'm going to have to rewatch the whole thing again. In fact, I'm not going to bother because it's not worth it by all accounts. But... No, it's not. Yeah. Well, we can't always agree, can we, James? So should we leave it there? You're wrong, I'm right. Leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah can i just there's a can I actually sorry no i want to ask you about something that i have not seen but you have seen and you love buffy the vampire slayer is my understanding correct that the first season at least is not very good and would you say to me to watch buffy the vampire slayer which is what 24 episodes per season ish it's a long one it's, it's yeah a long old style one would you tell me to watch that from season one? See, now I'm starting to appreciate where you're coming from, but I still firmly have my your wrong hat on because the first season is a bit weak. And I mean, it, it's an issue throughout the whole thing, really, but the effects in it as well are pretty bad. But for you to really appreciate that show as you get to the later seasons, part of the joy is knowing where it's how it started and what it looked like and how it's morphed into what it is today. And it's not that great, but it's campy, it's fun. Yeah, I'd probably still still would recommend it. But then on the other side of the coin, I'm thinking, 
gets a lot better and you don't have to endure some of that cheap gimmickry that they did to get certain effects and visuals across. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think you've done me over. I hate you so much right now. Defeated by Buffy the Vampire Slayer. (laughs) Can we get to the main review so I can forget about this, please? Yes. Hello? I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Hold me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here's us some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is Greenland. What is it? What's going on? Train derailed across the highway. If you are hearing this broadcast, seek shelter immediately. What do you think it is? No idea. Oh my god, John, go! Shut the back! Cover Nathan! The only thing people want to talk about today is this interstellar comet called Clark. NASA's saying it appeared out of nowhere from like a different solar system. This is a fragment entering the lower atmosphere. Three, two, one, an impact. What is the explosion? It's a chunk of rock. Rocks don't explode. <laughs> yeah, tell that to the dinosaurs. The sky's on fire. Come on, let's go. With the largest fragment expected to hit in less than 24 hours, space agencies are expecting an extinction-level event. The greatest chance of survival are the bunkers in Greenland. Imagine a world where you wake up one morning and find that your daily routine is forever changed. Your freedom and liberties have been taken away, and the powers that be insist that you must isolate with your family for an undisclosed amount of time in order to preserve a hope for the future of society. That's the crazy far-fetched dilemma faced by one man who was once renowned for destroying known historical landmarks as part of action set pieces. That man's name is Gerard Butler. Not content with blowing up buildings, Butler sets his sights higher and stars in Greenland, semicolon, the earth has fallen. That's right, looking for a bit of COVID escapism and a bit of a light-hearted family romp? Then look somewhere else entirely complete with scaremongering news broadcasts, but minus the death statistics, this film presents us with an alternative reality that nearly perfectly mirrors our own, with the only notable exception being people may not storm the capital in support of an inept politician, but they will mug you for a plastic bracelet. God bless America. Excellent. And the entire IMDb summary is... A family struggles for survival in the face of a cataclysmic natural disaster. Short and sweet. Yep. Jim, Bob, James, what did you think about Greenland? This film has a difficult challenge to make a film that we've all seen before. Armageddon, 2012. Geostorm, also starring Gerard Butler. Deep Impact. They achieve it by making it about family. This is really a film about family. It's much more like the Tom Cruise version of War of the Worlds. It focuses literally on the family and the big explosions are happening in the distance on TV over there somewhere and only sometimes up close. That worked for me. I liked the parts where the threat comes from other people and their selfishness. It captures the anxiety of escaping a disaster more than it captures the spectacle of things exploding 
The plot itself was frustrating at times. The family becomes separated because the mother and son cannot stand still. They're told not to move. They move. That sets everything off. Then they leave a note on the car to say where they are going when they could just wait by the car. But it doesn't get too muddled. It's only about the family. There's no cuts to the president in a bunker. No scientists looking at graphs. It commits to the premise of the family drama. Wikipedia says this has a $35 million budget, but I didn't register this as a mid-budget film. I think it looks really good. The special effects and set pieces are good. It doesn't look cheap. They're on real locations, not on blue screen, which helps with the idea of this being a normal family in the real world that is sometimes blowing up. I've not seen a lot of Gerard Butler films. I liked him in this. He's a heroic everyman. Marina Baccarin is a heroic everywoman. The kid, whatever. I believed them. I supported them. Except when Marina Baccarin walked into the kitchen, fresh out of the shower, with wet hair, wearing only a silk robe. Do you want to get divorced or not? You're sending me mixed messages. Something that I didn't pick up on, but I read about in an interview later with Marina Baccarin, I'm not saying the name right, I'm sure, is that this is about a family with privilege and they're chosen to be sheltered, but then that's slowly taken away from them and they have to go on a greater struggle along with everyone else. I think that's a good topic, an interesting topic to insert into a film like this that adds a nice layer to it. Daniel, what did you think of Greenland? I'm at risk of repeating a few things that you said, but I'll try and avoid it where possible. I was looking forward to this a lot. I'm quite prone to a good disaster flick. Unfortunately, you mentioned a good few of them. A lot of them aren't very good. Skyscraper, Geostorm, The Day After Tomorrow, 2012. I'm looking at you, all of you, awful. So given that it's a really hit or miss genre, I put this on and I was expecting to be mildly entertained, have a fair fix of explosions and destruction and think, yeah, that was okay. I'm not going to beat around the bushfire, James. I absolutely loved this film. I full-on loved it. The biggest compliment I can give this is that I've lost my hearing again this week, so I've no idea what was said for at least 50% of this film. However, just from a visual standpoint, I was drawn in. I was engaged. I was I was engrossed. It did not affect my enjoyment in the slightest. You've pointed out some of the problems with it, and I think they're all fair. It's not a flawless film. You said it. It's not even original at all. There's a lot of typical tropes you'd expect. Family in peril, possible end of civilization, the animalistic need to survive both bringing people together and tearing them apart. All that's pretty standard stuff for this type of film. But... It is so well executed. I was floored by how effective this was. Again, a point you made. For a film that has arrived with relatively little fanfare, the scale of it feels grand and epic. I agree with you. It feels like a really big budget film and one that they don't tend to make a lot of unless it's superhero films these days. The drama and the action is overwhelmingly intense and it does not let up for almost the entire two-hour duration. That is down to the director, obviously, the way in which he presents the panic and the hysteria. It's very believable and relatable. There's this decision to shoot a number of scenes with handheld cam, and it 
adds to the immediacy and the urgency. The music too is really frenetic and it assists with that high pace energy that's going on. But I also think big shout out to the actors in this because there's this perpetual state of fear going on and sustaining that as well for two hours from an acting point of view is a really big ask, but you can feel and see the pain and torment written all over the faces throughout. And I think they did a really good job of making me care about them. As I said, it's not without faults. There's a few moments where they use cheap tricks, such as family flashback montages to elicit emotion. But even including that audience manipulation, everything, and I mean everything, worked for me. I'm going to make a bold statement. This is hands down the most terrifying thing that I've seen in the last five years, more more so than any horror film. And I do think a big part of that is because of the situation that we're going through now. It does closely mirror some of the things that we're experiencing. And, and because of that, what I would ordinarily take as something fantastical and out of the realms of possibility is suddenly so much more believable. We're basically living through a version of this now. And due to that, I want to dig into this with you in a minute, but I feel as though it's only right for me to give give a health warning with this film. It's not a criticism, but I feel for many people, this is going to be a very stressful and triggering experience because it was exactly that for me. And I'll go into that in a bit more detail. To summarise, I think that this is a film that has the fortune of arriving at a time when it could not possibly resonate with people more. Prior to 2020, I think I would have a very different opinion on it. But as we are right here, right now, I think this is one of the finest thrilling emotional roller coasters of a film that I've seen in quite some time. Very well said. I agree that it is anxiety-inducing and scary. It was for a slightly different reason for me. Don't want to go into this too much, but I was in Japan when the March 2011 massive earthquake happened. And... There were no scenes of, of panic and I didn't really personally go through anything. But we did go into supermarkets and th- it was empty and then driving down the road and it's completely full of traffic and everyone's thinking the same thing. Everyone's trying to get fuel and that sense of, right, everything suddenly changed now. What happens? So I was feeling my heart rate go up watching it and it captures that anxiety so well more than any of the mass destruction that other lesser disaster films do. Yeah, uh, obviously I can't comment on that. I didn't live through it, but um, I can see why it would have that sort of effect on you. You kind of touched on it there, but what was your emotional reaction to the film? I'm not asking for a minute by minute when did you cry or if you did, but if you want to reveal, that's fine. <laughs> I was watching them do things and I was thinking to myself, check, check the car for the drugs check the drugs are in the bag before you go anywhere or say don't show your wristbands don't tell them that you were chosen for the thing i was i wasn't like questioning them being stupid but i was so emotionally involved that i was urging them to not make the decisions that they were doing or to do things that they weren't doing that was my journey with it at the very start when jared butler and his family are driving off and a woman steps in front of the car and says take my daughter I was saying, get out of the way, woman, get out of the way. <laughs> this makes no logical sense. And then when towards the end, there's like similar things happening. I was really, really urging Gerard Butler's family on. Mm. I wasn't sadistically like wishing they would die just for a laugh. I actually wanted them to make it. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I, I'm going to be 
I'm going to be very transparent because what? Why not? But you know, pr- prior to last year, any film where you see like a, a national government announcement within a film, you just go, "Oh yeah, yeah, whatever. This is this is standard." But again, it's just at the time, it's not wasn't relatable. But now it's it's a different ball game. This has kind of happened to us, and. Like I said, I'm not going to lie. Me and my partner found this film extremely difficult to watch. We, we, we've we spoke about it before and that it's a bit of a cinematic crime, but we had to absorb this in split sittings because it genuinely was too much. It's just so tense for such long periods of time and everything now being put in perspective. I'm not ashamed to say it. I was an absolute mess at several points during this film <laughs> and i don't know if it's like a combination of of what we're going through with lockdown and not seeing family and friends just having a kid i was an absolute wreck and it lasted with me a good hour after and we we were hugging each other <laughs> and like just i don't know it was a very very emotional and i was not expecting that of this film it's definitely a victim of when it's come out but uh, i don't know that that's how I felt watching this film. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bit weird. I, I like I said, I'm, I'm so surprised by my reaction to it. And you know, there's people going through a lot um, in lockdown, and people aren't coping well. And I would say that I'm not one of them people. I feel like I'm coping very well with it. I don't feel mentally drained by it as, as some people have said i'm coping well or at least i thought i was but that's why i thought it was worth issuing that warning because there's people out there who are probably less feeling you know not as good as myself and i don't think they're gonna cope very well with this film so that was my reason for issuing the warning that's <laughs> it's a fair warning i will just to counter that i will say that i was entertained throughout i did have that moment of, of raised heart rate and, and flashbacks and there are some anxiety inducing moments but i felt that that was a, a fun thing it was a fun adventure to watch that keeps a tight focus on these characters and i was rooting them on in a way that i was entertained and enjoying it so i'll just throw that out as a as a counterpoint yeah no and that that's I don't very... think i'm saying i'm saying i don't think it's guaranteed no. To have your reaction is, is what I'm saying, just for the sake of balance. What 100%, and I'm glad that you've said that, because I almost felt a bit odd bringing that up, because I know that's not going to be everyone's experience with this film, uh, 100%. It just has arrived at an odd point for me, obviously, um, but I don't think I'm going to be the only one who feels that way. James, would you recommend Greenland? Yes, I would recommend Greenland. Daniel? Would you recommend Greenland currently streaming on Amazon Prime? Yeah, all warnings and concerns aside, for my money, I don't think that with your money, you'll find a more all-round entertaining film. I agree with you on that. Greenland is brilliant, and it's my most emphatic recommend of 2021, yet I loved this. Let's go into spoilers. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. So, throughout the film, a lot goes on. And following various obstacles being thrown in the way, 
throughout the fight to survive, such as repeatedly poor phone signal, the kidnap of a child, a violent attack to acquire a bracelet. They eventually make their way to an airfield and catch a flight to Greenland. But as you would expect, things don't stay rosy for too long. They meet near death when a smaller comet hits the Earth, the impact of which knocks out the engines on the plane, causing a crash landing. Surviving against all odds yet again, they then make their way on foot to the bunker, arrive just in time to have the doors close on them for the next nine months before emerging to a decimated landscape ready to rebuild the world. Is that a fair summary of what went on, James? Yes, I think that's a fair summary. So, mentioned quite a lot there because a lot happens. Any complete jump-the-shark moments for you that you thought, oh, come on. One thing that I wasn't keen on was when Jared Butler meets his father-in-law and they have a chat, they, they have a Hawkeye's farm moment where everything settles down. And the wife finds a pair phone to call and say, oh, I'm here, come and pick me up. That seemed like a shortcut to get her back reunited with the family. It made me wonder why she didn't think of using a pay phone earlier on. I did question that a little bit. Another thing with the father, I wanted him to travel with the family and go down in a blaze of glory and sacrifice himself heroically in some sort of gunfight. I really liked that father character. Instead, he hands his rifle to Gerard Butler. Don't give the main character a gun at the end of Act 2 if he's not going to use it in Act 3. Yep. Were there any... Sorry, go on. Were there any bad moments for you? They were minor. They they weren't the ones you've just mentioned, but he rings her on his mobile when they first get separated. He loses reception. Ring her again. Just ring her again. Why are you not bothering? You've just given up. I thought, what are you playing at here? Doesn't make sense. The other bit, the kid getting kidnapped. Now, it actually worked for me. But the more that I think about it, the more I don't know whether it was really necessary and they needed to put that in. Because this couple that kidnap him, how were they... I mean, they pull it off. They get through this military camp, but minus the amount of bracelets they need to do so. And I don't know how they did that. It just seemed a bit too much on a wing and a hope. And yeah, that I was I was questioning that quite a bit. Yes, their plan was never going to work, but I just put it down to them being desperate and not thinking straight it did though redeem itself when the boy actually said they're not my parents they're not my parents i was cheering him on again i was saying yes son yes you've done the thing that makes sense you've told this guy they're not your parents this is good good writing thumbs up yeah at least had a good payoff yeah and i I think as much as i've just slagged it off the one thing that i do like about it that you kind of touched on the desperate And I think this film does a very good job of showing you the good and bad side of people because you've got this couple who are doing something pretty damn evil, but they're forced to because they want to survive. And then on the other hand, you've got these medical staff at the military camps who are providing care for everyone who is going into Greenland, yet they know their own families haven't been selected to go And I don't want to harp on and make this all about COVID. I'm not trying to. But I think we've seen a lot of that throughout this whole thing in reality with people. And I thought it was nice to also see it on screen. And it felt authentic because that is exactly what happens in this sort of scenario. 
That's right, yeah. And the equalising force of a disaster that affects everyone equally. I liked Gerard Butler killing someone with a hammer to the head. As I've said repeatedly, I was with him. Yes, just kill him because he's caused this truck to crash. He's endangered other road users, this man that started the fight in the back of the truck. I didn't feel bad when he got the hammer to the head. Gerard Butler played it like he was guilty and shocked that he'd killed someone. No, you did the right thing. Not the right thing, but it, it was unavoidable. Murder is right. <laughs> <laughs> he shouldn't have felt that bad about it, and he seemed traumatised later on, but he started it. Yeah, I, I had no uh, thoughts for that, for that dead bloke at the end. I thought, good riddance, if anything. And nice work, Gerard. Arriving at the end, then, they do the same thing that was done to them. Gerard Butler drives in front of the plane and says, stop, I'm not going to let you go without me. Gets in the plane, plane crashes. So, as you described, the people in that plane run into the shelter. What happened to the wristband access system? Everyone is let in, regardless of their wristbands. They just needed one line to say, hardly anyone's turned up, all the planes have crashed, we're just letting everyone in because there's loads of space and there's only one minute before we all die anyway. Just one line like that, because I was wondering... Why are you letting everyone in now? Did you think that as well? I didn't. I think I'd been far more forgiving and I just took it as a given that with everything going on, naturally, people weren't going to turn up and and therefore, oh, just let them in. There's space. That's why they're coming in. We're not bothered about the bands anymore. It's literally going to land and kill everyone. We've got space. Get them in. That's, that's how I took it. But you're right. It would have took one line to dispel any issues with that and they didn't bother, but... In a disaster film, it's unusual that the ending is not the most explosive, disastrous bit. The ending is people running into a room and then it's an emotional payoff in the end when they have the family montage. Yeah, what did you feel about that? Because what they do is they're in the bunker, the doors close, I think the husband and wife kiss and you know you know that they're um, going to make a go of it as a couple. They've no choice, really. They're, uh, they're bound to each other in, in a cell, a massive cell. But I thought, leave it at that montage because they then like show the doors opening, as I said before, and you see Earth destroyed and, oh, they've got to rebuild it now. I just almost would rather wonder what happened to them with the end of that family montage and think, oh, did they survive or did they die? I don't really know. I think that would have been a better ending. don't know what you think. I wouldn't have minded it. When it did fade to black, I thought, this is the end. Fair enough. Good for you. But I also didn't mind when it did give you the quick scene of nine months later, let's have a look outside. I didn't mind that either because it was an entertaining film. It did fit in that it had the positive ending, I thought. Yeah, no, it did. It, it does make sense. Um, slight admission as well for me, you know, because I've lost my hearing. I only found out an hour later that that scene at the very end is nine months later because I heard none of that. I thought it was like minutes after it had happened they opened the doors again. But I see. Yeah, idiot. If it was more bleak in tone overall, maybe it would have ended with them hugging and cutting to black. But I think it's more of a crowd pleaser. So that's why they gave you the hope at the end. Yeah. I just... I've... Honestly, can't communicate what I felt with this film. I so enjoyed it. Um, 
I, th- I feel like people should be paying for this. Do you not really regret paying thirteen ninety nine for Synchronic now when this is free? Yes, there's an imbalance. I wouldn't have minded paying for this. It feels like it's too, I don't want to say too good. It seems more like a real film that mm. I wouldn't have minded paying for. Yeah. So time to wrap up. Yes, let's leave Greenland. Next week, we're watching Tom Hanks in his Western debut, News of the World. Looking forward to that. Any parting words of advice before we bid our listeners goodbye, James? Always keep a full tank of petrol and keep a phone charger in your car. And if you're told, don't move, don't move. (laughs) Sound advice. On that note, see you next week. Bye.